You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Reading is Ephesians 6, verses 13 through 17. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the word of God. I really want to encourage you as well to be in God's Word, uh, and not just because of this series. I mean, it's super important in this series, but, but just in general, this is, this is your sword, this is your truth. Um, it's really, really important for us to, to not only know the Word of God in our hearts, to hide God's Word in our hearts, but to be able to handle it well, all right? And you don't, you don't learn how to handle the Word well by just, like, focusing on one particular scripture uh, you need to understand the breadth of God's Word. And so reading God's Word in larger sections is a great thing for you to do, as well as going into one passage. We've focused on this one package, uh, pa- passage for about three Sundays now, and will another Sunday yet. Um, and I want to encourage you to stay right here during the series, but, but move out beyond this as, as well with everything, okay? Um, Chip Ingram is a writer. He wrote a book called The Invisible War. Um, he wrote and shared several stories inside of the book. Um, it's, it's a book kind of about spiritual warfare. Well, it isn't kind of about it. It's about spiritual warfare. Um, and in the book, he, he gives one story or one detailed account of a situation when uh, he was uh, living in Santa Cruz. Um, and down on Pacific Avenue in Santa Cruz, if you're not familiar with that part of California, uh, there's like a strip, there's like an area, and people go down there and they hang out. Uh, there are bars and, and cl- dance clubs and all those kinds of things, so there's a lot of activity, and sometimes uh, things get out of hand. Uh, police have to be called and those kinds of things, but it is a, a kind of a gathering place for a, a lot of people, and there are a lot of trendy things that go on there. Well, to say all of that, he, Chip, was walking on this particular strip uh, one evening, and he noticed two men. They were very large men. They were really muscular, large men, and they were kind of giving grief to a young man, uh, a smaller young man. He was a bouncer at one of the clubs, and they were upset for whatever reason, and so they were giving him a hard time. And as the story goes, this younger man who was the bouncer had taken his phone out and dialed 911 and called for the police. Um, and so the police pull in, there's like, you know, sirens going and lights flashing and they come down the street and they pull into this large promenade or whatever there, right up where, uh, this particular club is. Um, and Ingram said, you know, he, he tried not to get too close to this, but yet he was intrigued by what was going on and curious. And so he was kind of watching, uh, what was going down here. And this, uh, when, when the, the police cruiser pulled up on the curb there, he said uh, that the officer got out, and he was a bit startled. 
uh, and he was like, I do not know how this is going to go down because these guys were like, you know, six, seven foot guys and they were very broad and very muscular and uh, wearing torn t-shirts and just had this gruffy look about them and seemed to be quite obnoxious and were very drunk. Uh, and this little guy was a little guy. Uh, he, he was actually surprised that he was a bouncer. Um, and out comes this police officer who is a very small, very petite young woman, but she is a police officer. She is in uniform, and she walks up to these two men, and she says, basically, um, I represent the uh, county of Santa Cruz, and uh, I need to know what's going on here. And um, a couple of these uh, people around kind of stood back to watch what was about to unfold, uh, Chip Ingram says he, he just did not know how this young woman was going to be able to take charge of this situation with these really big guys who were terribly out of hand, but nobody was coming like, to, to stand with her, and uh, these guys got mouthy with her, and she just stood there, and she looked at both of them, and she said, again, I'll tell you that I represent the county of Santa Cruz, and they've given me the authority to enforce the law, and I need you to step over by the police car. Do you have any other questions for me? And she put her hand on her revolver. And both men sobered up a bit, walked over to the car, and did exactly what she told them to do. And Chip Ingram says, the amazing thing here is that this young woman had no authority of her own. And she didn't appear to be a person of size who could handle these two big guys. And yet she simply walked in the authority that she had been given. And when she did so, she with confidence handled the situation and diffused everything. And eventually those men ended up in the police car and went to jail. And he says, sometimes we do not understand the authority that we operate in. And sometimes we look at the enemy and we see the enemy much bigger than he is. And we get intimidated by the activity of the enemy. And when we do, we abdicate our authority that we have been given. And we operate as God's people in the authority that Jesus Christ has given to us. And that is the authority that has been given to him by the Father. When the Father says to Jesus, I give you all authority. And then Jesus says before he ascends to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father and intercede for you and I, all authority that has been given to me, I now give to you. And so you and I walk positionally in an authority that is far beyond what we have in our own natural skills, our abilities, our gift mix, or anything else. All right? And so that is where we need to be. And when we talk about when we've done everything to stand, then stand. We stand not in our own works, our own authority, our own abilities. We stand in the authority that we've been given through Jesus Christ and nothing else. Amen? Is Jack, Jack, come up here and talk for just a second. I'm going to, Jack's my Greek guy, and uh, I, he's my go-to guy when I want to, to, to understand a Greek word or a Greek phrase better. And, and will you just tell everybody what you told me about uh, spiritual armor? Uh, just take a minute here and just tell them what you told me. Uh, there you go. Well, I was looking through this uh, passage of Scripture that we've read, and it talks about uh, taking on the whole armor of God, putting it on. 
Well, I learned that it's, it's the, uh, in the Greek, it's the aorist imperative. The aorist meaning, put the armor of God on once and for all. Never take it off. Leave it on. Don't ever take it off. And the imperative means it's not an option. It's a command that you do it. And the, the other part was that I discovered was that to stand in the, or put on the strength and the might of, of uh, God or the might of Jesus was to, the idea is to put yourself in an envelope completely surrounded by the might and the strength of Jesus. So you're completely enc encased with his strength and his might. And sealed there. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Isn't that good? All right? So, so what I'm talking to you about in this series, it's not optional stuff. All right? And it's not take it just when it gets really bad. You know, put it on when, you, when you're in a really tough situation and put it on and take it off and put it on and take it off and that sort of thing. This is a place where, again, when you've done everything to stand, there you stand. All right? So we're in, we're in this passage, and we're exploring here what the, what the Bible is saying about our spiritual warfare and the weapons and the armor and all that we use. And as we said uh, last week, this is a spiritual battle. We have to have spiritual weapons. Um, we, we cannot fall into this, this pit of thinking that our own ingenuity or our own strength or our own intelligence is going to do this for us, all right? This is not a mind game that you and I uh, get to, to be on the offensive with the enemy with here. Uh, we cannot do this on our own. Don't think that, well, somehow I'm going to be able to walk through this. Somehow I'm going to get through this. Don't live in that place because oftentimes that is a place of repetitive defeat, all right? And I don't want you living that kind of a life. I don't want you constantly having a testimony or a witness that I am repetitively defeated in the way that I am living and the, and, and the way that I am walking in Christ. All right? That isn't a witness that Christ wants you to have. He doesn't desire for you to live in that kind of a witness or that kind of a condition. His intent is to give you victory. All right? And as we said last week, most of the scholars believe that, that Paul was in prison when he wrote this. And so he gets this, this visual of these warriors coming in and out of the, the, the prison area. Uh, and he sees them. And as he does this, it's like the Holy Spirit just begins to speak to him about how these different pieces of the armor fit. And they fit with us doing battle as well. And so he lays this out and he tells us, that we are to put on this belt of truth, this breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. All right? Now, every one of these areas that we're talking about here, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the Word of God, these are all the primary areas where Satan attacks your life. These are the places where he comes in, in each one of these areas. All right? And last week, we explored the belt of truth, and I talked much about that. Um, I'm going to talk about some of the other various pieces today, and I'm going to move along uh, pretty quickly here with you today. Um, and so just, just hold on. Uh, go back and study this on your own. Begin to understand it better and better. Um, stand in the place of what God has given you. Put it on your life. Uh, walk it out. And um, I promise you, you'll see a difference. You'll, you'll feel much more of a victorious person, okay? Okay. Second half of verse 14 that uh, Jeannie read to you today, 
is this idea uh, that, uh, uh, of, of putting on the breastplate of righteousness, all right? Having the breastplate of righteousness in place, all right? In other words, you put it exactly where it needs to be, where it belongs, all right? And, and so what I want you to see here is, is that the, the, each of these pieces, Paul is very, very particular about the piece and that it is being worn uh, appropriately. It is being worn the way it's supposed to be. It's being used the way it is supposed to be. The idea of these pa- uh, pieces that we're talking about right now is that they protect a soldier's vital organs, all right? Uh, and so that's an important piece for us. And why is that important for us? Well, the mind, the emotions are the two areas where Satan most um, frequently and fiercely attacks believers, all right, in the mind and in the emotions, all right? What he does is he creates a world system, all right? It's a sinful environment where he is able to come in and out and where he is able to tempt you. He'll tempt you to think wrong thoughts, and he will tempt you to feel wrong emotions, all right? So this is two places where you need to, to, to evaluate your life. Am I thinking wrong thoughts And am I feeling wrong emotions? And if you are, the enemy is at work, all right? He is afoot. He's trying to do something, all right? And here's what he wants to do. He wants to cloud your mind with false doctrine, with false principles, with false information. And he does that in order to mislead you and to confuse you. All right? That is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to, to, to lead you out of the path of righteousness. And when he gets you out and away from there, he wants to bring confusion into your thought process so that you cannot think clearly and walk in truth. All right? And, and so how he wants to do that, he goes further. He wants to confuse your emotions. And thereby, he will pervert your affections. He will pervert your morals. He will pervert your loyalties. He will pervert the goals that you are setting in your life. He will pervert your commitments. And when he is able to do that, we are living in a duplicity. We're calling ourselves Christians. We're we're claiming to be in Christ, and yet we're living immoral, perverted, messed up, inconsistent, dysfunctional kinds of lives. And the reason that we've done that is because the enemy has gotten a foothold in somewhere. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm actually saying you are saved, but you're confused. (laughs) All right? Things have gotten perverted. Things have gotten twisted. All right? The enemy cannot take your salvation away from you. But the enemy can do everything he possibly can to try and to to distort and to pervert and to twist your emotions and your thoughts so that you're living contrary to your salvation experience. And so now there's this crazy duplicity that is going on inside of your life and you feel like you are two different people warring against each other. What he's doing when he does this is he's seeking to undermine your very pure and undefiled and holy living that you are capable of. And God says you are capable of it, all right? 
And what he wants to do is take that, that pure and undefiled and holy living, and he wants to replace it with things like immorality, greed, envy, uh, hatred, um, any other type of device or, or vice that he can come up with that you might be prone to or, or that in some way you have a propensity towards. And believe me, he will watch you and he will figure out ways to try to get in and he will take you to the place where you are most easily tempted. And I'm telling you that you have to there stand. And when you've done everything to stand, you stand on the promise that God says, regardless of the time and the place and the type of the temptation, your heavenly Father will make a way out for you. He will give you opportunity out of that, all right? So what the enemy really wants to do, and this is how sinister he is, he really wants to laugh at you, but he wants to get you to laugh at your own sin. He wants you to, to in some way, stop believing how terrible and dangerous and traumatic sin can be in your life. And he wants you to, to take it of a lesser value and, and then you begin to get comfortable with it, even to the point that, that you will laugh at your sin rather than mourn over your sin. And if you can laugh about your sin, you will no longer find yourself being convicted of your sin. And so the enemy wants very much to move you and move you and move you in, in delicate in increments or, or uh, in increments that, that are not easily recognizable so that he can get you to that place where no longer does sin grip you, no longer does sin convict you, no longer does it, does, does it, it mess with you, and you get comfortable in that place. It's the old adage or the old story of the frog. When the frog is thrown in boiling hot water, he jumps right out. It, he knows it's dangerous. He knows he shouldn't be there. But if the frog is put in tepid water and he's comfortable there, and you just raise the temperature just a little bit gradually over a long period of time, he dies. He boils. And that's what the enemy will do. The enemy isn't necessarily after you just to get you to do some amazing sin uh, that, that is, is treacherous and traumatic and destroys you in a moment, uh, in the blink of an eye. Most often, he works over a period of time in your life. Most often, he's coming at you time and time and time again, and he's building uh, this strategy. He's building this snare, if you will, that, that will capture you and take you. If you look at most of the major men and women who have um, done horrible things and have fallen from grace, it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't just a one-shot deal. It, most of the time, this happened over a lengthy period of time and started with a smaller, lesser prior sin initially and grew and grew into something bigger that eventually took them out, eventually destroyed them. And that's what the enemy wants to do, all right? Um, and and, and uh, he, he would rather you sort of rationalize your sin out, you know, think about it and logically try to rationalize it out rather than confess it and, and bring it to the Lord in forgiveness. The last thing that the enemy wants you to do is to confess your sin. Uh, he doesn't want you to be convicted, but he certainly doesn't want you to confess your sin, all right? So what the enemy is really doing, and all of this that I'm saying to you here, is he is seducing you, all right? The enemy seduces you, uh, and, and he gets you to become so used to sin in your life, all right, that both in you and around you, it doesn't bother you. And it's not only that you don't deal with the sin in you, 
but you're not willing or able to, to vocally or publicly address the sin around you. And so we let sin go. We let sin go in our own lives, then we let sin go in the church, then we let sin go in the community. And when we've done that, we're no longer effective for God. All right? Now, if we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we're not putting on our own good works here. All right? I'm not talking about you just deciding to do good and being good and keeping on doing good here. Okay? But when we put on the breastplate of righteousness, we, we are putting on far more than our own good works. All right? The, hear me, the breastplate of righteousness is not a breastplate of self-righteousness, all right? So when you put it on, it's not about putting on good works. Good works will come, but the breastplate is not your good works. The breastplate is the work that Christ has already done for you. And that's where you live is in that, that is what will protect you. That, will, that is what will hold your vital organs. That's what will guard your heart is the righteousness of Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross and nothing that you have ever done for yourself. So we're not depending on our own personal integrity or our own personal goodness here, all right? doesn't mean that, that when, 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 it, when I say you're going to put on the breastplate of righteousness, where the enemy wants some of you to go is he doesn't want you to change anything that you're doing. He just wants you to add good works on top of it. So read your Bible more, uh, give more, uh, do more, be more, keep doing, 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 and have all these things. And I just got to, oh, if I just do a little bit more, I'll be better. If I do a little bit more, I'll be even better. If I do a little bit more, God will finally love me. That is such a myth, and that is such a false place for you and I to live. All right, and so you cannot live in that place of good works, all right? So when I talk about the breastplate of righteousness, I'm not saying that you need to pray more or read your Bible more. You may need to do that. You may need to go to church more, but I'm not telling you that that's what this means. I'm telling you that's not what this means, okay? So please understand what I'm trying to say to you here, okay? You could work yourself into a frenzy and never be delivered. You could work yourself into a frenzy and never be victorious, because you're just simply depending on good works to try to eventually do something. And they may alleviate some pressure in your life, like alleviate a little bit of guilt or a little bit of pain of some type, just by doing, like sometimes doing stuff makes you feel better. You know, it's like in my house, you can tell probably when one of us are not feeling right because we start doing stuff, <laughs> you know, because that, that's something we can do. We're task-oriented, and so we'll do something. And you maybe will feel a little bit better for a moment, but it doesn't work. It doesn't give you what you need, all right? So, so since this is the armor of God, this is not your righteousness at all. Um, and in fact, when we suit up in our own self-righteousness, we're handing Satan a weapon for him to use against us. If you try to live out of your own self-righteousness, you're just abdicating to the enemy right there. The battle is lost in self-righteousness. All right, so we, we put on this breastplate of God's righteousness, all right? I, I, I don't want you going out there like you're engaging in hand-to-hand -hand combat and you're wearing a paper vest. And if you're, you, if you're walking in your own good works, that's exactly what you're doing. And it'll be destroyed in, in a moment of time, all right? So, so we don't even attempt to face the trials of the enemy in our own strength or our own goodness, all right? So listen to this passage from Isaiah 64, verse 6. Turn there in, in your Bible, all right? Mark it in your Bible, all right? 
And I'm going to build something here for you that hopefully will help you, okay? Isaiah 64, verse 6. Summarized, it says basically this. We are, we are all unclean. All of, notice what it says, our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. Yeah. Now, you go home and you do a little context work on what filthy rags entail there, okay? But we, our, our best, our best is just filthy rags, all right? Now, listen to me. This verse is not saying that God will not accept you no matter what you do, all right? It's simply saying that even our very best works, when compared to the righteousness of God and His work on the cross through Jesus, you can't, you, you can't even begin to compare. You can't even begin to get there, all right? No matter what you do, it'll never, ever usurp what God has already done. It can't. It won't ever measure up. It won't ever get close. It will always pale in comparison to the work of the cross. That stands alone. That stands above everything else. Nothing else can get to it, touch it even remotely close. All right? So we live out of that place of understanding that we just can't do it. All right? The problem is, is that, that too often we have depended on our own goodness or our own like righteous works when we face darkness or we face traumatic situations in our lives. The enemy keeps telling you that, well, if you'll just do this, if you'll just do that. And, and he gets you to focus on these tasks or these doings, if you will, at the expense of being, being in Christ. When you've done everything to stand, stand. Where do you stand? Positionally. Where is your position? In Christ. All right? So God's intent is that you are standing where you belong in Christ. And the enemy says, no, I want you to do something because if you do something, you'll get better. This is, a, this is a hellish lie, all right? And, and, and we need to, to, to move away from this, all right? So I want you to etch this in your heart today, all right? I want you to get this today, all right? And that is that we, we must cast out our own or cast away our, our own righteousness. Um, at, and we do that in such a way that our mind says, my own efforts are completely inadequate in this battle. Until you do that, until you let your efforts go, all right, and we, we hold on to our, our abilities, we hold on to our other positions, we hold on to our skills, we, we hold on to our thinking process, we hold on to grandma's theology, we hold on to all these things that, that have come in, all right, until you let them go, you cannot fully and completely put on the breastplate of righteousness. See, you've got to say, in your heart and mind, you've got to begin to believe, and so you declare the truth, and the truth is, I have no righteousness of my own. Anything I have is filthy. Even my best works, though they may be good in the eyes of others, and though, though they may be good on some level in, in the kingdom, 
compared to the work of Jesus Christ. Nothing saves me. Nothing completes me. Nothing fulfills me. Nothing carries me. Nothing strengthens me. Nothing protects me. Nothing shields me. Only the righteousness of Jesus Christ on the cross can do that for me. And so I have to let go of everything else I've ever used. And now I can grab a hold of this righteousness by faith that I understand now in my mind that it's my only answer. And so I hold to the righteousness of God. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 is where I'm going to go here. But look at what Paul says about himself. Um, He says, I consider everything a loss. Now, would Paul consider everything a total loss, period? Absolutely not. Paul was an educated man, and he used his education to his advantage. Paul was a Roman, and he used his nationality to his advantage. Paul Paul used aspects of his life in, in, in God's work, in God's kingdom. But he says, I count everything a loss compared to the passing, the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. So nothing I have, nothing I have gained can be greater. It cannot surpass knowing the Lord. That is absolutely the top. That is absolutely the essential piece, all right? And he says, for his sake, for the sake of Jesus, I have lost everything else. He didn't give up his Roman citizenship. He didn't throw away his education. He says, I give it up for Christ. In other words, it doesn't hold me and I no longer put my dependency on what I've accomplished or what I've done or what I've been born into. I put my dependence on Jesus Christ. In other words, everything else he says, I consider, some translations say rubbish, others say filthy rags, all right? That I may gain Christ and be what? Found in him, all right? Not having a righteousness of my own. Do you see that? I don't have a righteousness of my own to work with here anymore. All right? Because that, that all comes by the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, that's what I have. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. That's what I live in. That's where I position myself. That's where I stand. All right? So when you're doing warfare, all right, you don't tell the enemy how intellectual you are or how smart you are. Don't, don't tell the enemy what accomplishments you've made or how far you've come or your position in the church or what you're doing for God. Matter of fact, don't even tell God that. Tell God how dependent you are on what he has done. Humble yourself to the work of the cross and operate out of that place. Stand in that place in Christ, all right? So going out to do warfare requires oftentimes that we do good. I mean, it's a part of it. Matter of fact, oftentimes when you're in the midst of spiritual warfare and something is going on, and let's say, let me give you an example. Let's say that your your particular um, propensity is to be greedy, all right? And you want to hoard things, and you want to hold on to things, and you want to keep all your money to yourself, and you don't want to share, and you don't want to be generous, all right? Um, God would want you, that is, a, that is a, a, an evil spirit. That is, that is something the enemy is bringing to draw you away from the character and the nature of God because God is a generous God. For God so loved the world that he gave. 
All right? So, so generosity is a huge attribute of the Father. And, and we would want to be like the Father. And so we have to operate in the opposing spirit of what the enemy is trying to do. So if the enemy is capturing your heart and trying to, to get you, deceive you, to believe that you need to keep everything you've got and you need to hold on to everything because giving stuff away would, would ruin your life and, and take from you, then you need to actually operate in the opposite spirit of that lie and that deception, and you need to do something that is generous. Give your money away. Give your stuff away. I'm not saying everything now. I'm just saying give. Do, do something. My wife and I, when we were, when we were first married and, and had moved here after we had our, our first child, um, we, had, we had lived somewhat by faith, but giving up our jobs and coming here to plant a church required an extra measure of faith to, to be able to do that. And we, when we said to God, we will go and do that, we'll, we'll plant a church for you uh, in Sioux Falls, when we first said that, we didn't have a child. But by the time we got to the place where God was moving us to Sioux Falls, we had a little boy. And so there were, there were issues of, of financial concern for us doing that and, and coming here. And we didn't have anyone paying our way, we had to raise our own support to, to come here. All right, I'm saying I'm not, that's not a pitiful story by any means, okay? I'm just saying that's the, con, that's the context here, okay? And, and we got here, and we followed God, and we loved God, and, and the church, you know, was established, and, and it was good. And we were, we were renters, and we didn't want to be renters, and we wanted to buy a house. And so some friends in the church joined with us, and, and we went, you know, we, we finally found a house, and um, we had put all of our belongings in a storage shed um, because the house that we were renting, they had furniture in the house and it, it worked for us. So we put all of our belongings in a storage shed and, and I, people would come by and they would say, I don't have a sofa. Well, I gave them our sofa. <laughs> Yeah, my wife said, happily, we did. We, we gave ourselves. Oh, uh, you know, we don't have lamps. Oh, okay, well, we'd have lamps. I wish I had a washing machine. No, oh, well, we got a washing machine, you know. And, and we're just living by faith here that when it comes time for us to have a house, we'll have what we need. And, and uh, fast forward here, we found a house. My wife found a house. She loved this house. I was like, ooh, I hope we can do this. And we got the house, but by this time I'd given away most everything. <laughs> yeah, we, we did. We gave it away, all right, because uh, people needed it. And so I'm like, huh, you know, and a couple of times people had said either to my wife or to me, gosh, you're going to give everything away. You guys are going to have nothing. We didn't have to pay for the storage unit. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so we had a storage unit. <laughs> But we're like, what, what do we do, you know? And, and I'm like, God, please, I don't want to have a house and not have anything in it. And, and then everybody says, look at you. You know, this, so it's, not, it's like, this isn't about me, God. This is about you. This is about your reputation. This is about your faithfulness. This is about who you are. And within days and weeks, wonderful people in the church and outside of the church came to our house, and they said, we have this, and we have that, and our entire home was furnished by God, beautifully. 
And we had more in the end than what we started with when we gave it all away. Um, I'm giving you that as an example to say to you, sometimes you just operate in the opposite spirit of what the enemy is trying to do in you. Because you know what? The enemy would have loved for me to put a lock on that storage shed and say, nobody gets that because when we finally get a house, it's going to be ours and we're going to fill it up with our stuff and we're going to be happy and we're going to be good. We wouldn't have been happy had we missed God in that. We have such a testimony of God's faithfulness. Now, I have got to move on here, okay? Um, so, going to warfare sometimes means that we do good, all right? But, but here's the thing. Honestly, a lot of times Satan will just laugh at doing good. He'll laugh at your goodness because your goodness, your goodness doesn't do the job, all right? And, and even, even Satan understands that your goodness is filthy rags, all right? Satan, Satan knows that. Satan, Satan knows scriptures, all right? Um, but wearing the breastplate of righteousness means that we live out righteousness through choosing to do good and live for Christ out of our daily actions, all right? We choose to do good, all right? And so that's how we live. We put on the breastplate of righteousness, all right? And we live out of God's righteousness and not our self-righteousness. Then he says, and you walk with feet that are prepared with the gospel of peace, verse 15, all right? We need to have our, our, our feet shod, if you will, or these the shoes built for us, all right, uh, that, so that we are fitted with this, this preparation or this readiness of the gospel of peace uh, that only, again, comes from Jesus. Now, keep in mind that, that shoes were essential for, for the success of a soldier in battle, all right? His entire life might depend on whether or not he had the proper shoes on, um, if he lost his footing, uh, the enemy could come in quick, could take him down. He could lose his life right there. Death would follow very quickly, all right? A Roman soldier's sandals were made from this very, very thick leather, um, and it sometimes was, would be layers of leather, all right, that were very thick, and then they were studded through um, with what were called hobnails, and these, these were, were like nails that, that, that had um, a, a rough end on, on the bottom, and they stuck out underneath on the bottom of the shoe. It would be very much like what if, if you or I played soccer uh, or, or, or football or baseball. It would be like cleats. It's what we would call cleats. In other words, it gave you a sure footing, all right? And every soldier wore those kinds of shoes, if you will, all right? Now... If you were in soccer when you were small, you got cleats, but they weren't really cleats. They had little rubber nubbies on the bottom of them, all right? And, that, and, and, and even though you were excited to get them, you knew that this wasn't the real deal, you know? And it's like, okay, I'm young, and, uh, you know, so I'm not prepared. Uh, I, I, I want the real deal, you know? But you can't get them because you're not old enough yet to have them, all right? So when you finally get to that point in league, where you can get steel cleats, it's like, yes, I have arrived. I am an athlete, you know. I, I'm, I'm there. I, I'm at the top, all right. And so this is, this is a good place for me. And, and see, the, the, the thing in our mind is that's when I can do what I can do, all right. When I've got that place, when I'm in that place, that's when I can do what I can do because now I have arrived. I'm really legit. I'm really an athlete now, okay? And so oftentimes that, that was what we wanted. Or we wanted the steel cleats, if you will, and we wanted to be there. Um, and I'm going to tell you something about the Roman soldier. They didn't play around. You know, they, 
sandals with knobbies on them wouldn't have worked. You know, they wouldn't have done it. And you're, gonna, you're not going to get any soldier who's going to say, okay, that's good for me. They didn't, they didn't have a substitute. They didn't, they didn't have uh, uh, a second best. They didn't have something that wasn't the real deal, all right? Every single Roman soldier, they did not fool around with their, their shoes, if you will, all right? They, that, that was serious business. They had to march over uh, tough roads, um, hot roads, uh, dusty roads, uh, jagged rocks, thorn bushes, all these kinds of things. Um, I, I remember a while back, Pastor Day went fishing, and, um, and he, he hit his big toe on a rock. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that's all. He's not in here, so I can pick on him. Uh, that's all, you know, be honest. Pastor Dave loves being a jock. You know, he's a manly man. All right, he loves to go fishing. He loves, to, he loves to be out there in the outdoors. He loves to compete, all right? And, and he's a strong guy, and he's a, he's, a, he's a solid man, all right? But he bumped his big toe on a rock, and I'm going to tell you what. It just about took him out. <laughs> you, you can ask him about it, all right? Down the road somewhere, not today, all right? Uh, <laughs> don't let him put two and two together today, okay? But yeah, I mean, it, it just... It, it took him out for a little bit. It was really, really difficult for him to do what he needed to do because of this injury to his big toe, all right? No soldier wants a foot injury. A foot injury will stop you, all right? And, and, and so um, if, if a soldier's foot is bruised or cut, he's not going to be a match for the enemy, all right? Now, the, the idea behind these words that are translated like readiness and preparation is that we need to be ready for anything we encounter, all right? We're headed into spiritual battle. We need to make sure that the foundation that we are on is sure. There's, there's no shaky ground here, okay? All right? The, the, the phrase gospel of, of peace, that's the good news, isn't it? The good news of Jesus Christ. And, and the reality is that you and I can have peace in God through his son, Jesus Christ, all right? Here's the deal. You've been reconciled. You've been put in place and you've been positioned with Jesus through the Father. The work of Jesus Christ, but this is through the will of the Father. And that's the good news that you and I have, not only for ourselves, but for others as well. Romans chapter 5, it says, um, you can turn there in, in, in your Bible if, if, if you want to, but it says, we've been justified through faith. And then notice what he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, through Jesus, we have gained access by faith into this grace, the grace that the Father has given us through the work of the cross, all right, we have access to, to the Father through Jesus Christ, this is all by faith, in which we now stand. This is where you stand. And when you've done everything to stand, you stand. You stand in Jesus Christ. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more we're saved, all right? We're saved by, 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 by God through Jesus Christ, all right? We were his enemies, it says. We, we were, but now we're reconciled to him through Christ. You are completely at peace with the Father through Jesus Christ, your Lord. And that's where you live. 
And that's where you position yourself and you stand there, all right? Because he says, now you have received reconciliation. There's no war between you and God. There's no enmity between you and God. There's no battle between you and God. You're reconciled. You're at peace. The cross has done this, all right? So you're, it's settled for you. Your battle is with the enemy who would want to take you out, who would want to move you from this reconciliation, all right? Now, listen to me. When Satan attacks, you can expect that one of the areas that, that you, will, you will absolutely see action in this war, in this battle with, with the evil one, is in the area of your relationship with the Lord. The enemy is constantly going to try to come against that, all right? He's going to do everything in his power to convince you that God could not possibly love you, that you are separated some way from him, and that you don't stand a chance. I've probably said this before, but I have oftentimes seen Christians come into my office and sit down, and they're troubled, and they have anxiety, and they're fretting. And I'm like, what is, what's going on? What's wrong? Just tell me, what's, what's that? let's get to the bottom. What's at the bottom of this anxiety that you have uh, or this fear that you have? Uh, or this, this troubling of your soul. And they're like, I've been serving God for 10 years. I've been serving God for 20 years, 50, uh, 25 years, 30 years. And right now, I don't even feel like I'm saved. I'm going through such a battle right now that I don't even feel like that God even hears me. That God, I, don't, I feel like my prayers are stopping before it even hits the ceiling of the room. I just, I feel, I feel, I think, I think, this is it, this is it. And it's all about relationship with God, and it's gone. And I'm telling you, that's the enemy. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. And so you hold there. All right? You hold there. You stand there in that place because that's what the enemy is trying to do. But Romans 5 and other places, they tell us that God is able to, to hold us in our position in battle and that we can stand firm in that place. And we can do that through every attack of the enemy. I grew up as a kid going to the beach a lot. I, 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 in my heart of hearts, I'm a beach bum. All right? I'm really just an old hippie who wants to just meander on the beach barefoot and whatever goes with that. All right? That's what I want. That's what I love. But I remember as a young kid, we'd go to the beach and we would, we would just run out there, and the waves would just hit us, and they would just knock us down. We had no idea what, what we were coming up against. And the, the weird thing is that from, from time to time, or season to season, we would forget that. And every time we would go to the beach, Dad would let us out of the car, and we would just take off and run into the water, and here comes the waves, and they just knock us down. And you get back up, and you go, oh, I, now, I, now I remember that. You know, <laughs> Now I know what that was like. Okay? But here's the thing. We would see the wave coming because we just got knocked down. We would see the wave coming, and what would we do? And the wave would hit us, and this time we would just go forward, you're right, right face in the sand. Just nasty, just spitting sand out, you know, because the wave took us, all right? Because we, we weren't positioned. We weren't ready for it. We just saw it coming, and so we just turned from it. That's what we do with the devil sometimes. 
We see him coming. We know he's out there. We know he's coming at us. And we've been hit before. And we don't want to get hit again. And so we just hide ourselves in some way to try to get beyond it. And we think he's just going to like go over us. He's not. He's going to hit you. And if he can, he's going to knock you down. And then we learn. We learn that you don't turn your back on a wave. You stand there and you position yourself so that you've got a solid stance, all right? You put that, that heel back there and you get ready and you put your chest up and you close your eyes and you wait. Boom! There it is. And you stand. You stand. Face the waves. The enemy doesn't stop. He's relentless. He'll come after you time and time again. And don't think for one minute that he will let you get through with one battle before he starts another. He will come relentlessly after you because his intent is not just to knock you down. It is to drown you so that you never come up again. Don't live in that place. Sure-footed, you put on the peace of God. You're reconciled to Jesus Christ. You're a child of God. Don't let the lies of the enemy and the rhetoric of the enemy come against you, all right? When the Holy Spirit starts to move in your life, you better bet the enemy's going to take notice. But you better know that right then, that's when you can stand because you have done everything and the Spirit is with you and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you stand right there. I've got three minutes and I've got to get through one more piece here. Let me, let me say this really fast. You go back and, and, and you search it more in the Scriptures, but the last thing I want to bring to you today is that, that the shield of faith. The first three pieces of the armor, the, the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes, they were being worn all the time, as Jack said, okay? They were being worn all the time. And these other ancillary pieces were right there. They were carried all the time, all right? So truth and righteousness and the gospel of peace, they are on you. They are there even if you're sitting and relaxing, even if you don't feel like you're in battle. You still have them on. You don't take them off because the wave can come and hit you at any minute, and you won't see it come sometimes, all right? And so you've got to stay there. But Paul says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take it up, all right? He says, in, in addition to these other three things, grab these. And then he starts with this shield of faith. There are two primary kinds of shields. I'm down to two minutes, all right? There was a small shield, a lot of soldiers used them to, 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 to try to prevent something from, from coming against them, or especially if they were in, in uh, close combat with another soldier. They would use it to, to shield them against the sword that, would, that the other person was wielding with them at the time. But there were bigger shields as well, all right? And these shields were sometimes as much as four feet high and could be two and a half to three and a half feet wide. And they would hook together. They would interlock together so that these men could stand in a row. And when they locked their, their shields together, they could all lift them up together and walk together in cadence and move forward against the enemy. Set them down. And then they've got this wall of protection right there in front of them. I'm saying that to say this to you. You should get the parallel. You need each other. We need each other. We need to be in this together. We need to be able to lock shields together with one another and take ground and, 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 and be victorious together. I need you. You need me. We need each other. And you know what? A lost and dying world needs us because sometimes it, it was imperative for a soldier to take someone and bring them behind him. And, and, and hold them and shield them from the attack of the enemy. And if they could get someone behind a wall, there was a greater safety for those individuals. And so the soldiers understood the power of coming together and joining together. 
I'll close with this, all right? Some, some of, the, of the shields were, were metal, and so they could, um, they could take anything that the enemy would, would hurl at them. But the enemy oftentimes would take arrows, and, and they would put cloths just, just behind the head of the arrow, the point of the arrow, and they would soak that cloth in pitch. And when they soaked the cloth in pitch enough, then they would pull it out and they would light it with fire. And so the pitch would burn around the arrow. And that was immediately when they were about to shoot it. Like they had the, the, the cloth on, on the bow and, and arrow and it was ready to go. And when they pulled back, then they would light it. And when they would light it, then the, the archer would let it go. And the arrow would hurl over into the enemy camp. And when it did and it hit, because it hit with such force, whatever it landed on, the pitch would spatter out, all right? So all this hot, burning, fiery pitch would spread, sometimes two, two and a half feet out up beyond where the actual uh, arrow hit, all right? And so whatever was around it would burn. That could be a soldier, that could be gear or what, whatever, all right? But that often was what would happen. There was a type of this larger shield that was made from leather. It was not made from metal. And it would be, the leather was, was layers uh, in, in, on the front. And then the, the um, shield would actually be soaked in water for a lengthy period of time so that the leather became totally wet. All right? And when, the, when the, the leather got wet, when the pitch would come and hit, all right, it would spatter a bit. But on the wall of the, of the shields, there, the, the water would actually put out the, the arrows, put, the, put out the fire so the fire could not continue to burn. All right? And so that's why Paul says here, he says, you, you take up your shield of faith with which the, the shield uh, of faith... That is what you can extinguish these fiery arrows of the enemy with, all right? Your faith, all right, uh, is, is, is absolutely essential. You've, you've got to take it, all right? I've got to stop there, all right? Folks, you need each other. You need to stand strong. You need to be in your position, all right? Uh, you, you need to not let the enemy get a hold of you. There's so much more here I'd love to tell you today, but I, I want to get through this, and I want you to continue to search and research what it means to, to take your stand, and when you've done everything, to stand, all right? Stand with me. I'm going to pray for you in just a minute. If some of this hits you today, I want you to come and stand with me up front here. I want to pray again for you. I'm going to pray for you through all of these messages in this series. But here's what I would ask you today. Have you depended on your own righteousness? Have you been living out of your own works? If you have, let me pray for you today. Just come and acknowledge that today. And, uh, and let's stand together and stand in God's righteousness, all right? Have you, have you walked in faith? Have you, have you really believed God that, that he's given you everything you need to quench the fiery darts of the evil one? Living out of truth and living out of faith will allow you to do that. If you haven't been there, then I want you to come today and stand, knowing that we need each other to do this together. And if you've not been reconciled to the Lord, this is your chance today to be reconciled. But if you've battled with that reconciliation and you haven't believed that God really loves you, and that your salvation is complete in Him. I want, you, I want you to be captured by that truth today. I want that more than anything to grab a hold of you today and transform your mind and your thinking so that you can follow Christ in that. All right? If you want to be prayed for and, and you identify with these things, again, let's come and stand together at the front. And let me pray for you. Would you come right now, please?
has a rest are coming. Let me say this to you. I've said this before. Know that a great deal of your battle is in your own mind. It really isn't around you. And most of your battle is not out there. It's not with flesh and blood. It's what the enemy is putting in your mind. We're going we're gonna to ask God to just remove and cleanse and sanctify us from those perverted thoughts and beliefs and desires, all those lies and deceptions today, and give us a clean heart and a clean mind. All right? Let me pray for you. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus again, not in my own authority, but in the authority of Christ alone that has been given to us by his death and his resurrection. We ask you, Father, that today you would do a mighty and powerful work in the hearts and the minds of your people. We ask you, God, that you would solidify the truth and the reality that we are yours, that we belong to you, and that we're living positionally out of who you have made us to be through your work on the cross. Father, I ask you that you would solidify in the hearts of every person standing here that they are indeed sons and daughters of the living God and that they will walk in that position in every aspect and dimension of their lives together. I pray, Father, that those today who are standing here who have labored so hard and tried in their own strength to do so much and to win but have constantly felt defeat, that they would no longer believe the lies of the enemy, that you are far from them, God, your hand is not too short that you cannot reach. And you can extend yourself to the heart of every person in this room. And I ask you, Father, that you would make yourself known through revelation and understanding and truth today to every person here as a holy God, a loving Father, a righteous judge, one who has not only redeemed them, but holds them for eternity. And I pray, God, that each one can stand in that reality that they are children of God. I pray, Father, that you would help us, that we would receive a measure of faith today that would drench us, that our lives would be such a shield against the arrows of hell and that we would be able to quench every single dart and arrow that the enemy throws at us and that ultimately when we have done everything to stand, we stand in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. 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 So be